Welcome to Equosity, our podcast on all things equine with a special emphasis on the horse-human bond. My name is Alexandra Kurland. I'm the author of Clicker Training for Your Horse and many other books and DVDs on clicker training. And I'm joined by Dominique Day, one of the co-founders of Cavalia. Last week, Dominique started us out on a discussion of antecedents. We were looking at all the things that come before the behavior that you're focusing on, that you're trying to shape. So we're looking at different ways in which you can set your learner up for success, whether you're trying to solve a behavior problem or you're teaching a new skill. We ended just as Dominique was starting to share with us a study that Mary Hunter did on desperation clicks. It was a fascinating study. So we're going to pick up again where we left off. Enjoy. I'm going to make a little tangent here because what may happen is that you accidentally reinforce something that was not what you should have. Yes. And Mary Hunter just published something on the power of one reinforcer. It freaked me out yes. when I read this. Yes. It's so good. Yep. But at the same time, it's like, oh, I'm not doing that again. Better not. We've, we've talked about this a little bit, but this article was so good. So, you know, you always think, oof, that was a bad click. Oh, okay, I forgive myself. Right, but right. Mm, you should know that this bad click... Or worse, I haven't reinforced my horse for a while, so I just clicked him because I thought I should. So I'm not really clicking him for anything. But it, it amounts to the same thing. Right. These desperation clicks. So first of all, this is one of those teasers. So you, you need to say very briefly, because not everybody's going to know who Mary Hunter is, though we are going to be introducing people to Mary very soon in detail. That's right. She's a behavior analyst and she has a, a blog that's called Stale Cheerios. Yes. And she's very, it's wonderful because she writes in a very accessible way. And she's a close associate associate of uh, Dr. Jesus Rosales Ruiz. So people will have met her right, right. on the webinars because she will right. often joins us in the, in the webinars. And you're right, her Stale Cheerios blog is superb right? and very, very clear. And she did her master's thesis on the desperation click using Portal. So do you want to describe a little bit of the results that they got? Because it was it was, an, it was a great paper. It was pretty stunning. Well, people would have to read it. But in a nutshell, what you saw was the effect of just one reinforcer that is, I'll say it in my own words, yes. but the wrong, when you reinforce the wrong thing, it puts the animal on the wrong track and it has an impact on everything else. It just muddies everything and it's not like this insignificant little thing. It really makes it hard. And you know, in the experiment, like just one reinforcer, but the animal would keep going back to that thing that had been reinforced. And in your mind, it's like, oops. But in the animal's mind, it's like big information 
And he's trying to figure out what's with that reinforcer. You know, why was I reinforced for this thing? And it makes everything <laughs> unclear yeah. for the animal. It's kind of, it, it puts a lot of pressure on us in a way, because we all have done bad clicks, right. you know, where we right. say, oops. And, and then, but after reading this, it's like, oh man, I, so really, if you think you're late or it's not a good click, don't do it better. Right not click yes uh then yes. muddy the whole process because it's not insignificant right. and so I, I, it it made me think of this when you were describing the portal before because this happens a lot you know so the animal will even when we do cues too the animal will think okay she reinforced me when i left the mat i should have stayed on the mat is what you're trying to teach but the animal left uh, and you're thinking, okay, it's not yet on cue. I'm going to click it. And so the animal is taking all this in. You know, it's okay to leave the mat when she's doing this other thing than what you intend to be the cue. And she reinforced me. So now it's part of the antecedent picture. It's part of the cue for yeah. the animal because he was reinforced for it. So you have taught your animal to leave the mat on another cue than the one you have intended and at least be aware of it. Right. And you would think that all that history of, you know, I reinforced you for this for this other behavior and I reinforced you a lot for this other behavior so it should be super strong and and it should be able to withstand one or two bad clicks because you should go mm. back to the behavior that has the greatest history I mean that would make sense wouldn't it that would seem logical and instead what they right. were seeing is that 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 one click on that behavior that one desperation click and all of a sudden they're the, derailed everything yeah and that the animal doesn't go back to the thing that had been reinforced really strongly they now are off trying to offer this other behavior that's now become a real nuisance really in terms of what you're trying to create it's so fascinating so fascinating yeah. and oh yeah and I so thought that was really so every click counts yeah and this the idea of what goes into the response that my learner is giving. So we played a, a portal game at one of the recent clinics and the person who was the learner, she was not making the connection right away. I mean, she, everything she was doing was, was very normal. Once you see what, what's being cued, it's really obvious and you go, oh, how could I not have, have seen that? But it's not immediately obvious. And instead she was coming up with various patterns. You know, oh, it's always the second one or it's the one that's positioned closest to, to, to me or you know, whatever it was. And so layer by layer, I had to go through and, and show, well, that rule, isn't going to work so let's try a different pattern let me try let me explain it in a slightly different way but it's all part of what is the learner's history that they're bringing to a situation and i'm thinking back now mm -hmm. to our hypothetical horse 
who, when he's being groomed, whether he's in cross ties or single tie or standing ground tied, doesn't matter, he's in the barn aisle, and he's showing all this grumpy behavior. Well, maybe he's trying to create distance because in the past, grooming has been unpleasant. And what he's learned is that by biting at the person, he can get the person to go away. And that that sits in his past history. So he's trying to create distance through his behavior. That's the history that he's bringing to this situation. So in our restructuring in the thinking about antecedents, that certainly sits in what is important to him. So how would we go about on, especially if we're thinking about Susan's humane hierarchy, and we're thinking about some of the changes in in the antecedent arrangement, what could we do to help this horse? In in this case, if we want to stay in the antecedents, you mean? Yeah. Or if, or the, if we were to, well, if we have all the possible steps at our disposal, in this case, if he's biting because he wants to create distance, certainly I would give him that distance as soon as he start before he bites. You know, if we know that he always bites when, when we're approaching, I would start by giving him what he's asking for, but before he bites, when he's asking for it in a more appropriate way, where he starts to maybe put his ears flat, because there are signs before the biting. He starts to whisper before he shouts. In terms of, of setting up the environment for success, that this would be a perfect situation in which we would say, let's go to protective contact. First of all, he's biting, yeah, and, and that could be dangerous. If we don't listen and he feels threatened enough, the bite, the yeah. biting at the air could turn from a display behavior into an actual bite. So safety always comes first. So let's go with protective contact. Yeah. And because he's loose, that gives him the option of giving himself the thing that he wants, which is distance. Yeah. yeah. And now can I build the relationship so that it is his choice to come to me yeah see the goats always get to, they, the goats always want to come in for a visit so in the goat house there are now three living units and the one of the walls it sort of goes up a fair distance and then there's a gap and the goats when they get up on their platform they can put their head out so they can put their head out and invite being scratched And what's so pleasant is to hang out with them and see them come over and put their heads out and let you reach in and you can scratch around their horns. We were just doing this this morning because I was doing some work in another part of of the the goat house. And and there was Peleus who was putting his head out saying, oh, please come and scratch me. So uh, went over and you can scratch around the base of his horns and his eyes just melt and he oh he turns to mush and it's just lovely and it's totally his choice to come and interact and ask for Mm -hmm. that kind of tactile interaction of course it's not a given with them 
that that's something that they necessarily enjoy or that they want all the time. So when they're, because of the nature of their very long guard hairs, particularly Elian, and these are cashmere goats, so they have to be combed, and he's got really long guard hairs, and it's it's not the most comfortable thing in the world for him to be combed out. It's This is definitely a work in progress to get him so he's accepting of the tactile. So when they solicit it, it's like, yes, this is an mm. important piece because it means that the combing is not uh, damaging the relationship. And it could, right. it could because of the nature, oh, because yeah. of the nature of their coats. Yeah, pools. Yeah. And you try and do mm. it gently, but it's, you know, that, yeah. you know, so, they've, they've got, and it's part of what makes them so beautiful, but uh, beauty comes at a price unfortunately cause... yeah and at, and you're doing it like this since they were babies so some of our horses they come to us and they've been groomed in a very harsh way so right. just seeing the brush is like ooh, right and these, that. these i'm going these two goats, it's going to pull right these two goats did not come to me as babies so oh that's right, right not these ones right so mm-hmm. they've had yeah. and they've had to be some some harder grooming right. maybe and and i've actually been involved in some of that harder grooming because because it gets matted and the mats are not healthy you have Mm. to get the the fleece out for the welfare of the goat and Mm. it's what ken was talking about last year in the webinar that we did with him on husbandry that sometimes you you have to get a job done before the training is ready right 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 and then you make that choice of do you go back and do it. You withdraw from your bank account. <laughs> right. Or, you know, do you do you use a partially formed training procedure and risk damaging that? Mm. Or do you do it the way that it would, we'll call it traditionally be done, um, so that you're not damaging a work in progress in the training? And then you would, you would do what Jesus suggests is put your... Whatever your Spider-Man costume, costume on. Yes. Your Spider-Man costume yeah. as an antecedent so that the animal thinks, oh, she only does the harsh brushing when yeah. she has the Spider-Man, but when she's dressed the other way, she's fine. I'm safe with and, her. You know, what's so interesting, context, and here we are talking about antecedents, context is so fascinating. So in the barn, Elian, who's the longest guard hairs, he's very suspicious about the contact along the, his body because he's convinced that, and, and probably he's right, that we're going to comb down through all of that beautiful long guard hair and it's going to be uncomfortable. So in, in the barn aisle, it's not something that he solicits, but I've been taking them up. It's such a nice way to spend the evening. I've been taking all the goats up into the back fields where the grass is long and I take a chair up and and a book to read and I sit with them and I don't get much reading done because A, they're really fun to watch and B, Elian comes over and he would rather stand next to my chair and have me scratch and rub and comb down through his his coat than go and eat. Now, isn't that fascinating? So in the barn aisle, he would move away from my hand and up in the top mm. field, he comes and solicits it. That's the perfect example to uh, show how fascinating antecedents are. Yeah, 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 absolutely. It's just amazing, yeah. 
There's something else in antecedents that we could briefly talk about, but it's a whole big subject on its own. But people may have heard of about this. You know, if you have a dog that has the habit of running after the family cat, but after a very energetic training session, he doesn't run after the cat so much. Okay. Well, that would fall into what is called motivating operations, meaning that the reinforcement, in this case, running after the cat, it it, the value of the reinforcement, the effectiveness of the reinforcement varies um, with the, the antecedent. Because he has just had the training session, running after the cat is not as reinforcing. Or if your belly is full of treats, well, maybe the treats don't look as appealing as they would if you hadn't eaten for a full day. Right. So the antecedent, what has happened before may influence the value of the consequence, the effectiveness of the consequence. So that's a whole other topic and something we'll want to get into and dive into uh, in the future. But it's just something I wanted yeah, to mention because it is, it is under that big umbrella of antecedents and it's something to explore both in unwanted situation on, with unwanted behaviors and in our regular training when we want in a learning situation where we want to teach something right. new, motivating operations are are something that we can benefit from understanding. So when you when you want to teach head lowering as a calming behavior, it makes sense to work on head lowering at times when the horse feels calm and relaxed and safe and secure in the environment. Sometimes you I will teach head lowering when the horse is not calm and relaxed but really way over threshold. But there I'm using it as a management tool to get the horse to a point where he can be safely handled and either removed from the environment that we currently are in, or uh, if we can't get to an environment where the horse can be more settled, it at least gives me a way of managing the horse so he can be safe and I can be safe. But ideally, if I want If I want head lowering to be linked with, let's be nice and calm, then I would want to train and work on head lowering at times when the horse is feeling calm and settled and relaxed and make those associations. If I want to work on, oh, say an energetic trot, and I'm thinking, again, we're recording this the middle of May and the grass is wonderfully green and the days are cool and the bugs are not too horrible so the horses are really enjoying staying out on grass and when Robin comes in with that look of I can't believe I ate all of that and boy do I need a nap that would not be a really great time to say oh let's go ride and work on a really energized trot Because in all likelihood, he's not going to give me an energized trot. But later in the day, after he's had his nap, 
and he's had a chance yeah. to digest in this lovely cool weather it would be a perfect time to work on that energized yeah. trot because with the the motivating operation the it's the the value the effectiveness of the reinforcer is temporarily altered yes so the same reinforcer at another time is very appealing and then with in it, with the motivating operations it's the same motivator at another time might not be that interesting like you know oh i'm too tired to run after the family cat yeah so it's it's a reinforcer big reinforcer after a nap like the example you just gave yeah. with the horse after a nap oh i'm ready to get more carrots but you know when you've had your whole morning of eating grass well the carrots are not that interesting so you know again antecedents there it's a big subject to explore and to know more about because i think yeah we can set our animals up for success and if we want to do that we need to understand how antecedents work and then of course we get into the interesting part of consequences are antecedents because it's yes, all a stream I know, that's you know it's all it a stream. is or it's a cycle yeah yeah you know once uh, there was something in one of our webinars that jesus said and it was like wow i don't remember exactly if we were talking about oh i remember we were talking about one t one trial quitters so this is an animal who disengages when you try to raise your criteria it's just too difficult and he goes away and so what he was explaining was that the animal knows when you start to raise criteria that it there will be micro extinctions that it will be harder because the reinforcement is going down all of a sudden and he knows that when the reinforcement starts to go down because you're withholding your click he knows that it's going to be hard now she's changing criteria i don't so it's now the 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 way you are reinforcing becomes part of the antecedent of the behavior and the animal's thinking, oh, I don't like this schedule of reinforcement. I'm going, I'm going away. So it's the reinforcer, the fact that it's changing how often you're reinforcing or what you are reinforcing for becomes the antecedent of the next cycle. Right. And I thought that was, and we know animals are really good at perceiving those changes. They know you, I mean, you were clicking, 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 and all of a sudden it starts to slow down. And so some of these animals will just go away because they're, they're thinking, nope, too hard, don't know, not clear enough, bye. Yeah, that break in the rhythm is significant to them. Yeah, so you think yeah. you're in the reinforcer, but no, this reinforcement is already the antecedent for the next, the next cycle of behavior. If I give a... a a cue and I get a response and I reinforce with uh, a treat, but that that is now the antecedent for whatever comes next. Right. The whole thing. Right. Yeah. So so it's it's a stream. These aren't 
these sort of discrete units that we tend to think of. We often think of it in that way, but it's really just a stream. It's a conversation. And what I say is an antecedent uh, comes before what you say, but because of what you're saying, I now will alter my behavior and say something after that, which hopefully reinforces you to stay in the conversation. And it's a flow, it's a dialogue. And when you start thinking of it in those terms, it becomes, it becomes really so much more, it really becomes more of a conversation and not I, human, am instructing you, animal, to perform these series of behaviors for my pleasure. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the real shift and and that this whole conversation about the antecedents it's been from the way we've been talking about it it's really has been structured around what's good for the horse not how do i get that behavior but right it's really been focused around how do we make this a positive learning experience for the individual i have an individual who's biting, that means that there's something there that is causing stress. That yeah. that biting behavior, in our, this is our hypothetical horse, there's something in the environment that is maintaining that biting behavior. And, mm-hmm. and I would say that the biting behavior is a sign of some form of stress, that there's something that this animal is he's trying to create distance in some way through this display behavior. And what is that about? Well, he's tried to tell us in other ways, but it didn't work. And so this has worked, right? He tried to tell us. He tried to back up. He tried to maybe flatten his ear, but nothing was heard. But when he bit, the hand went away. So that worked. And so he's kept that one because that's been the one that has worked for him. And when he tried to say it in a more subtle way before, people didn't see it or respond to it. Right. So now what we try to do is to reverse this and say, okay, you can tell me you need the distance. I'm going to respect your, your need for the distance. But now the dialogue will be that you can tell me in a way that doesn't hurt me. We could have gone straight to saying, you know, this is a totally unacceptable behavior that I never want to see. And if you bite me, I am going to... I'll slap you. I'm going to make slap you, you so face. regret it that you will think yeah. you're going to die. And you will never, you will never bite again. Bite again. Ha! Yeah. Ha! But in that case... We're not thinking about the horse's welfare. We're thinking no. solely about our our comfort. It's like the universe is revolving solely around us. And I hope that's not too harsh a way of saying that. But but that's what it feels like. Is that I'm not trying. I'm not thinking about well, why is this horse biting? What is maintaining this behavior? What is it? Why is this horse 
feeling stressed in this manner. Why is it important for him? Why is it so important that he keeps doing it even though he's been slapped in the face many times? Why does he keep biting? It's because it's important to him. I think that's one of the... One of the probably value that a lot of us share in the clicker training community is that the welfare of the animal is paramount to us. It's our priority over and above everything else. For a lot of us, I think this is yes. This is what brings us to yes. um, clicker training. And it certainly is not unique to people who clicker train. That there are many, many, many people who have the horse's welfare absolutely as the as their priority. Yeah, except that the traditional methods come in conflict with this. Yes. You know, you you're always thinking, I love my horses, but okay, trainer said I have to smack him. Trainer said I can't accept this. Yes, the trainer said go through this antecedent situation. Your horse has to learn to to uh, tolerate this. It's always in conflict. Whereas the beauty of clicker training and the beauty of when you start learning all these things and functional analysis and the human hierarchy is that, oh, finally my ethics is in line with the method I'm using. Yeah. Feels so good not to have this like disconnect between my love of my horse and how I'm supposed to train him. You can have a good, well-mannered horse and not uh, go against your values. Yeah. That's what I like. You know, I feel always in harmony with myself. Yes. Because I can train, I can teach, and always stay in line with what I have in my heart. I'm never in a conflict. I may be challenged sometimes by my animals. I don't always know what the answer is. But I know that I can consult and I know that there is a way for me to solve this problem without resorting to violence, intimidation or any of that, of that, that I don't want to be a part of. I would, if, if the only way to get a well-mannered horse is to be violent, I'm just not interested. Yeah. I have no interest whatsoever. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's a wonderfully powerful way to sum up what we've been talking about today, that this bringing the the ethics in line with how we train and that that resolution where we no longer feel in conflict, that is a wonderfully, wonderfully powerful statement to make, Dominique. And I think it's such a powerful statement that we should probably end the podcast there and really let that sink in because... It's the perfect summary of what we've been talking about this afternoon. So shall we shall we end there and Yep. Good idea. Good idea. All yep. right. And so we'll just <laughs> we'll just say goodbye to everyone and we'll pick up again with a new conversation next time. At the beginning of the podcast, we talked about the journal article written by Mary Hunter and Dr. Jesus Rosales Ruiz. The subject was on the power of one reinforcer. We have a link to the article in the show notes, which you'll find on the equosity.com website. And next week, we'll be starting a new conversation. This is one I've been looking forward to for a long time. You'll be meeting a very good friend of mine, 
but I'm going to make you wait until next week to find out who it is. So until next time, have fun with your training. <laughs>